If we look at the Western Balkans, we see that Kosovo is the only country left without visa liberali uh, liberalization in the Schengen area. So while the youth from North Macedonia, Albania, Bosnia and Serbia can travel freely, people from Kosovo cannot. We have um, throughout the years, the past couple of years, huge waves of migration where people would just get in a bus and try to get to anywhere in Western Europe and where the economy is a huge struggle. Uh, so as a country, economically is, is really bad. Welcome to the Global Development Review Podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Rita Barisha. Rita is a feminist activist from Pristina, Kosovo. She is awarded by United Nations in training on gender equality and she is presently working with Kosovo's Women Network. In this episode, Rita will share her insights about Kos- history of Kosovo's uh, liberation and the contemporary development challenges that Kosovo is facing today. I welcome Rita to the Global Development Review Podcast. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thank you very much, Rita, for joining me for this podcast. How is the life in Kosovo, especially in, in, in present times? Uh, thank you so much for having me uh, and for giving the opportunity to explain more about Kosovo. Uh, we are a tiny, tiny country in the Balkans, uh, which was created mainly after Yugoslavia got dissolved. And um, I think I can speak in the name of all the countries that were created after Yugoslavia broke up, were tiny and having a lot of struggles uh, because Yugoslavia broke down by a war uh, that left countries very underdeveloped and we struggle economically. The mentality is very much uh, Middle Eastern in a way, or is um, uh, it looks a lot like Ottoman Empire. Currently, we are seeing huge wave of protests in Kosovo, uh, especially Pristina, but also in other cities, which has never happened before. Uh, because before the main protest happened only in the capital, so only Pristina was involved in the protests, in the discussions, in graffitis, in any type of um, protest or art protest. And now we can see more of the young generation just coming from every village, uh, and you can see them being eager to take the protests to their cities and to open the discussion in rural areas of Kosovo and to open the discussions in small places. Um, so what we're currently seeing is protests against uh, sexual harassment. So what basically happened is that a little girl in one of the primary schools in the middle of Pristina, so city center of Pristina, got sexually harassed by two guys in the seventh grade. Uh, The little girl was five years old. She wasn't in the school yet. And they recorded um, the sexual harassment where one of the guys goes near her and tries to, and just 
further goes on with the with the sexual harassment uh that video was leaked to the media and then we saw institutions completely not responding to what was happening one of the directors of education in the pristina municipality said that it was a game of children so when a seven grade student is recording himself harassing a five-year-old child what the education director is actually saying is not dealing with the problem or saying this happened in the school as an object and then we need to take responsibility and see what we can do and what is going to happen with the guys and uh, how are we going to try to help the trauma that the little girl survived but instead called it a game of children uh, so now we're seeing a global protest of uh, high school students which has never happened before because Kosovo is more known for uh, student protests so when you look at Yugoslavia and the breakup there were always students from Kosovo requiring something and this is probably the first time that we see high school students mobilizing in huge groups and they organized it pro two protests I guess uh, in Pristina, there were protests in other cities like Peja, uh, Dechan, uh, and other municipalities. Uh, so, currently, we're fighting against sexual harassment. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's very bad. Uh, what was the response of the woman? Um, our president, it is a woman now. Her name is Vyosa Osmane. Uh, Vyosa proposed that until we find a long solution, there would be police patrolling schools so that we know that the kids are safe. Now, even in a short term, for me personally, this is a very strange idea because I try or I personally don't agree with militarizing schools. School is an educational institution and not an institution to be militarized with police officers and guns around. Mm. Uh, and there shouldn't be police officers patrolling schools for a basic right such as not getting sexually harassed in schools. So what we see is that the response of government, though they are worried, they are in shock and are not entirely sure how to deal with the situation um, and so instead of thinking um, of what we can do uh, we uh, I mean activists came up with answers uh, such as including sexual education in schools uh, having uh, social workers in each school where students can go and talk about uh, things but obviously to see results of sexual education and uh, social workers or psychologists in school it takes longer to see the results so i think the government and the institutions were in awe and in shock and they didn't know really how to respond to the situation right away and what to do mm -hmm. um, and i also think that these responses such as child game came mm -hmm. from that yeah. Uh, shock in a way because they didn't know what to say or how to proceed uh, with what happened um, it, it, it's also interesting to see because the same protests are happening in Albania so in one of the villages a 13 year old girl was sexually assaulted by five men 
for months and months uh, until it was found out. So we see more of a network of feminists in Kosovo and Albania protesting for the same issue and just sharing each other protests and slogans, um, having meetings from time to time. Uh, so we can see more of a network where before, especially when Kosovo was part of Yugoslavia, uh, the road was blocked. So Albania went into communism regime and Kosovo was under Yugoslavia. So the relationships weren't that well. And this is the first time that we're actually seeing feminists coming together from both countries uh, as sort of a joint voice, I would say, because the fight is the same, the patriarchy is the same, the struggle of young girls not to get sexually harassed um, or abused uh, is the same. So we see the sentiment of sisterhood and uh, uh, joint protests. So I think Kosovo is one of the youngest, uh, I think, country in the Europe, and uh, it has the largest uh, young population as well. And, and as you were mentioned, that many of the youngsters are coming on the street. So there is actually transition going on, I think, in Kosovo after you know the liberation or after independence. So uh, how do you see that actually? Yeah. Yes, I think you can say that because while while in Yugoslavia the oppression uh, of ethnic Albanians, so mainly Kosovo and parts of Albanians that live in uh, Montenegro or North Macedonia was very big, but especially in Kosovo the situation was always always very tensioned uh, until that resulted in the war. But uh, so when you look at older generations in Yugoslavia, especially if we're talking about feminist activists, though they were active, their main concern was the occupation. Mm. So the rights of women, though it was talked, it wasn't the main issue or the main problem. And what we see now is that after independence, though we are struggling economically, and as you mentioned, we have the youngest population, we see a huge amount of unemployment in the country. So the economy is struggling. Then COVID happened. And with pandemic, I think every country struggled economically. But if your economy is already destroyed, as Kosovo was, a pandemic just made it even worse and harder. And what we see now is that young people and young women are no longer occupied uh, with um the situation like it was in yugoslavia and uh generations of feminism actually coming together in protest so for the 8th of march so marking the international women's day is usually the biggest women's march and we call it mushrooms festoim uh, which if you translate to english means we march we don't celebrate you know when growing up we were used to learn about 8th of march as a celebration where you send your mother's flowers and hug her and thank her uh, and instead we are bringing 8th of March as a protest as a revolt because women's rights uh, in this country are not doing very well so there are a lot of reasons to protest and the 8th of March is exactly the place that brings together uh, act feminist activists as back as Yugoslavia time or the war time so while we see that there is a a difference on how we issue the problems and what we see as solutions. 
the young generations don't really have a have a limit to, uh, they they really want to you know they are on the streets they are protesting they are articulating their rights with the correct words just being like this is women's rights issues this is a human rights issue while when it was under yugoslavia the older generations were more reserved they had to talk about human rights in general because it wasn't just patriarchy it was occupation yeah. uh, the ethnic albanians were living uh, that was the main issue and the main problem. It's really good to see generations coming together. Yeah, and I think internet and social media is also uh, playing an important role. I'm, I'm just going back to the Yugoslavia uh, time that you were talking about and most of the world. So could you just take us you know, to that time and share the brief history of what it was exactly? And how was the situation that time? So, um, in ex Yugoslavia, Kosovo was a province under Serbia. And uh, what happened is that while Tito was alive, uh, ethnic Albanians of Kosovo had more rights. So, in 1974, we had our own uh, constitution and uh, the economy was blooming, uh, people were quite happy with the situation, and we see more of a growth of Kosovo or other provinces of Yugoslavia just blooming, uh, and the human rights being somewhat uh, very de decent and okay. And right after Tito's death in uh, 1980, in 1981 is the largest student protest in Kosovo, some of the scholars uh, pinpoint uh, the March protests of students in Kosovo in 1981 as one of the main things that shook Yugoslavia uh, right after Tito died. And they mark that uh, protest that's, as one of the things that we could see that Yugoslavia was uh, actually breaking up, even though the war started much later on. So the war in Slovenia happened in 1992-1993, uh, the war in Bosnia, which is way longer uh, until 1995, and then we see the war in Kosovo, 1998-1999. But what, so from 1981 is actually a pinpoint where ethnic Albanians uh, and Kosovo was under high surveillance. Uh, from the police and military uh, and the occupation in general. And people were having a very hard time. So they were constantly protesting uh, until the 90s. And in the 90s, the situation starts to change a little uh, because we have the first uh, political leader in Kosovo called Ibrahim Rogova, and he was a pacifist. So we try to get independence through peace. And although the war was ongoing in uh, Croatia and Bosnia, uh, Kosovo was under peace resistance. And what we see in the 90s in Kosovo is not, is not normal. It's not, it is not war, but it is war in the same time. So the, clo the schools were closed down for ethnic Albanians. And we started going to, ethnic Albanians started going to schools in houses. So some people would give up their own homes and somehow turn them into schools where people would get education. We were not allowed to use the hospitals. Uh, so we had certain houses turn into hospitals. Uh, so I was born in 1996 
and um, it will, my my mom shares with me the situation of just do I go to the hospital or do I go to this house in the middle of uh, this neighborhood where uh, Mother Teresa Hospital that was a house was working, and she says I called my gynecologist and she said stay until 6 a.m. Don't go to the hospital no matter what. Uh, and my mom has a very Albanian name. So my mom's name is a typical Albanian name come from a river in Albania. And she was like, my gynecologist said, as soon as they hear your name, you're going to be under danger. So under no circumstance, don't go to the hospital. So we see the 90s of just boiling up the resistance but also of people just being super tired with the situation uh, which culminated in 1997 with another huge student protest and then on 1998 KLA come out uh, publicly uh, as Kosovo Liberation Army uh, while Rugova was still trying to uh, speak to the powerful countries about helping us and saying that we don't actually have an army to protect ourselves what actually what we actually see is that kla starts the war um and then later on as soon as the war starts to uh, become more brutal and brutal as days go by uh, we see more than a million of ethnic albanians leaving their houses in 1999 um, and then the NATO intervened. Um, but what, what we see from the data gathered now is that while, while the war uh, was before the NATO intervention, the number of civilians killed was much, uh, it was a lower number. And when NATO intervened, uh, I think that Serbia was trying to take the revenge for NATO starting to bomb them. And we see a huge number of civilians getting killed in every city and every village uh, since the day the NATO started bombing and they bombed for 70 something days. And when you listen to the stories of older people, what they share is that when they heard that NATO is bombing, they said it's gonna be done in two days. We give it a week because it's NATO bombing Serbia. It's going to be done in a week. And when the bombardment kept on going for 70 days, we had a lot of um, we had a lot of crimes and massacres happened. Uh, one of the biggest one is Rechak, so it's a village in Kosovo, or Krusha. Uh, Krusha is known uh, to nowadays as the village of. Um, um, of widows because they literally murdered uh, all the husbands and the kids. Uh, the so, Serbian army. Yes, the Serbian army during the war. So Krusha is even to nowadays known as the village of widows. Uh, and although we have in Krusha some uh, a business that is blooming of traditional foods. Uh, we see the image of Krusha starting to change, but yet the story of Krusha is still highly related to the war because they started the business because they didn't have men around. Um, they didn't uh, they didn't have where to go to ask for their men as well. Uh, so we still have many bodies left unfound. 
many families still looking for them. Uh, Jakova, one of the cities in Kosovo, was uh, had one of the highest numbers of civilians lost. Uh, there was this idea that people from Jakova were highly educated. So during the war, the highly educated people saw the worst times because they were attacked first. So everyone who was a professor, who was an activist, who uh, had an education and a background with education in it, was um, was one of the one of uh, the first community or group of people that were targeted by the army. Uh, and to nowadays, we don't know where these bodies are. So if we look at the highest uh, professors in Kosovo, like Femi Agone, the first sociologist, his body is still missing. So what we know is that he got on a train in hope to leave. The train got stopped for the from the army. They took him, and no one knows where his body is. Uh, we still don't know where Okshin Hoti is. Okshin Hoti is one of the uh, leaders of, uh, I think also of the student protest, might be wrong here, but uh, he was a professor of uh, political science. Uh, he had a lot of books under his name and he was highly educated. To nowadays, we still don't know where Okshin Hoti is. And we have uh, in the city center of Pristina, when you walk by, you, you can see uh, some graffitis with his face and it says, where is Okshin Hoti? Uh, so we still are, uh, though we have negotiations with Serbia ongoing, and although the, with the new government, we are hoping yeah. uh, to have more solutions. Yeah, yeah. I was I was also reading news about uh, Kosovo, and I read something that uh, there is talk on normalization of you know, relations between Kosovo and Kosovo. I mean, how is this present situation uh, of relation between Serbia and Kosovo? Uh, what we are currently experiencing is what I personally consider is that both parties are not really interested in uh, real peace solutions. Because I think in order to bring peace, you have to deal with the past. And we haven't done. Kosovo nor Serbia has dealt with their past. So what we see is politicians who are nationalists leading peace talks that don't really make change in the everyday life. So we see even the technical negotiations between Kosovo and Serbia going on the same line. We see interviews of Anna Brnabic, uh, the president of Serbia, absolutely neglecting that Srebrenica was a genocide. So we see a country that is not ready to deal with the past of what happened during the 90s uh, in Yugoslavia. And we're also the negotiations that are ongoing are not bringing results to normal people. Like just uh, a simple example, there are a, a group of uh, Albanians that live under Serbia. Uh, we call it uh, Presheva. Uh, so Presheva territory is uh, Albanians, is ethnic Albanians. And part of the negotiations was that they would recognize the University of Pristina 
certificates and diploma uh, for people from Presheva who finish university in Kosovo and then return to Serbia to work. And we're still seeing troubles uh, of youngsters in uh, Presheva finding jobs, especially if their education comes from Kosovo rather than from Serbia. So they still don't recognize the country. Uh, they still are lobbying around the world for countries who have recognized Kosovo to take it back. Uh, so we see no serious intentions of Serbia to sort of move on from what has happened and to also take responsibility for what has happened. So when we talk about the wars in Yugoslavia and the war in Kosovo, I think that it's hugely important that we see politicians who deal with the past and admit what has happened like Srebrenica in in my opinion is no longer a case if Anna Brnabic or me agrees whether it's a genocide or not Hague has already declared it as a genocide 10,000 Muslim boys were killed in a spell of 10 days you know so we see politicians who are nationalist and not dealing with the past in order to bring the real um, the real peace uh, we also had the leader of opposition, who is now the Prime Minister of Kosovo, with, with one of the main um, main arguments against negotiations, saying that if we are negotiating with Serbia, what they first have to do is bring up the bodies, the missing bodies. And now that he's Prime Minister, I, I sense some changes uh, in the way that he talks about negotiations with Serbia. So... I don't think that the negotiations are going to change. Yes, so they see like the role of European Union and UN here. Like, I think there was a special quote on former Yugoslavia in Greek, and uh, also the European Union has acknowledged Kosovo as an independent country. So, yeah, um, they see that again, like, do they have the negotiation? Uh, yes, because if it wasn't for the EU and the USA trying to push forward the negotiations, I think that we would never come to terms to negotiate in the first place. So it was a huge and the USA government uh, to to just bring the prime ministers or uh, the presidents uh, in discussions. But the EU or the USA cannot bring peace. I mean, they stopped the war, let's be clear on that. Uh, France, England, USA, uh, all their armies were part of the armies that marched uh, Kosovo when the war uh, ended. Um, so we see their flags everywhere in the city. So they stopped the war, but if we're talking about real peace, it's only Serbia and Kosovo or Serbia and Bosnia who really have to earn it. I don't think that it's really on them to bring the real peace as much as it is upon us. And we don't see that happening, especially under the latest government in USA uh, with Donald Trump. We saw a peace agreement that, was, that we all had issues with. If we look at the Western Balkans, we see that Kosovo is the only country left without visa liberali liberalization in the Schengen area. So while the youth from North Macedonia, Albania, Bosnia and Serbia can travel freely, people from Kosovo cannot. Uh, and I had experience of uh, having a visa twice or three times in my life. 
uh, and the procedure uh, to get a visa is very is very dehumanizing. It's just a lot of paperwork, uh, like your birth certificate or your marriage status and your bank account and where are you gonna stay and why are you gonna stay and it looks sometimes um, the amount of paper that is required for a Kosovo youth to just simple as travel in order to see another culture in Europe uh, is so dehumanizing that it looks more like a police interrogation rather than having a visa appointment that, yeah, I want to go to Germany and visit Berlin. What's the crime there? Um, so what we see is that with um, being the only country left in the ghetto, I think it's also... Uh, having a lot to do with Kosovo youth because they haven't seen Europe and they haven't seen a different mentality rather than the one that they live in. And although we, I mean, there, there were enormous uh, promises that Kosovo would have uh, visa liberation from different governments throughout, uh, we still don't see a clear move that when is that going to happen? Or is that anytime soon? And plus, when you apply for a visa, you don't know that you're going to get your visa. Mm -hmm. So many of the people, because they know how difficult it is to get a visa, they don't even apply because they know that the chances of having it refused are sometimes higher than actually having it approved to you. So what we see is basically an isolation inside of seven to eight countries that Kosovo can travel without a visa. So it's the Balkan countries or the surrounding countries that we can travel without visa. Turkey and some expansive countries like Maldives and uh, Dominic Republic. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to Europe, uh, it's really problematic to visit. Actually, it's more based on uh, services inside of the community. What we also see this because before the war, the agriculture was doing way better or under Yugoslavia. And now we just see that people are more tired of it. Uh, so what we see is that people, because we cannot really send our produce to Western Europe, uh, is also the reason that people don't cultivate uh, what they used to. So we saw a protest, uh, I think a year ago, um, of uh, milk. Uh, so people who cultivated cows and the other animals that produce milk, the government was saying that it's going to find a way to send the milk to Western Europe and sell it. And it resulted with the milk uh, going rotten because they couldn't send it outside of Kosovo. They spilled it in front of the government as a sign of protest. So what we see is that even the agriculture or the produce that are very good in Kosovo, like wines, uh, because we have a huge part of territory of Kosovo that is filled with so we have a huge part of territory that is filled with grapes and we produce amazing wines but uh, the companies usually have very high troubles uh, selling it outside of Kosovo so the market is very limited and how the economy is sort of surviving is based on that so something that goes around inside of the country rather than 
what what we uh, sell to other countries. We also are heavily heavily impacted by uh, imported products. So we see that we import products as simple as tomatoes from North Macedonia or Albania. And um, yeah, so the economy is a huge struggle. Uh, so as a country, economically is, is really bad. Now I will come to my last question. What is the way forward and the protest which is happening and, and uh, about the women and also in terms of political and economical uh, aspects? Oh, this is a difficult question because there are times that you meet people that have hope uh, that we will have visa liberalization, that the country will do better economically, that we will join the EU sometime in the future uh, as a country. Uh, but we also see very desperate youth uh, that mainly wants to leave the country because we have mm, throughout the years, the past couple of years, huge waves of migration where people would just get in a bus and try to get to anywhere in Western Europe and work. So I think that in terms of hope for the future, it's really unclear uh, where it's going to go and how it's going to look. While we have people who hope for a better future, we still see youth that is desperate to uh, go to Western Europe and work. Uh, and I think it's slowly starting to change uh, that people are more like, okay, we need to work here in our country and build it up. Uh, but it's going slowly and we have huge hopes for the new government to do the new changes, but it's still too early to say or to know. As if for women's rights, um, I think that activists are not going to stop. I am not going to stop. We are going to protest for as long as there needs to be a protest, um, especially for uh, topics such as sexual harassment or women's discrimination. Uh, so in the women's rights department, we're, we're not getting tired. This is just the beginning of the fight, I think. Uh, and we're going to keep on keep on fighting. Yes, so I, I wish you luck and uh, I hope that, you know, because we will just shine on all these problems get away. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, your time. Thank you for the space. Mm -hmm.